What I want, peeps, what I want. We're reading, in the meantime, finding yourself and the love that you want. And first of all, we've got to go to the first floor and chapter four, doing the laundry. So, the first floor. What is that smell? It's horrible. As it dawned on you that the only time you smell it is when you open the refrigerator. Something is rotten in there, Kenmore, honey. <laughs> Something is, rot is rotten in Kenmore, honey. The problem is you don't have a clue what it could be. Could be the green stuff in the bowl or the brown stuff in the foil. Perhaps it's the fuzzy pink stuff that was once red and is now fermenting on the side of the vegetable crisper. Don't you just hate it cleaning out the fridge? It is a nasty and time-consuming chore. You'll be putting it off for days, no weeks, and some have everybody and so has everybody else why are you always the one who gets stuck doing the dirty work now you have to do it because everybody knows you've got a problem every time you open that door everybody including company knows that there is something very nasty and foul growing in your midst well you can put it off you can't put it off any longer it's too embarrassing thank goodness the same is not true about the laundry at least you can hide that but why why do we let it pile up whether it's the laundry or an issue in a relationship it would be so much easier if we could deal with it a little at a time we promise ourselves every time we stand before the mammoth pile or have a heated argument that will do it that way liar liar pants on fire your dirty pants are on fire all 12 bags of them even those you tried to hide in the bottom of the closet are on fire don't you know by now that the longer you put something off the worse it gets eventually the foul smell will seep into everything or the bag will burst spilling all of your soiled undies until the middle uh, into the middle of the floor or pent up anger will lead to an argument whether it's the fridge the laundry or the little issue turning into fuzz on your relationship take care of it now before you get embarrassed or hurt now enter chapter four doing the laundry so lynn and steve had been married forever 19 years they had two wonderful children a boy of 15 and a girl of 13. steve was the only man lynn had known if you know what i mean he was her first lover he was her first lover now he was her husband and she thought her best friend they had a pretty decent marriage. Lynn was a very, very intelligent woman. Brilliant, as a matter of fact. Steve was a blue-collar worker who wore a tie. A high school graduate. Not a lumberyard worker, but an office worker for a government agency. One level above the basement. Lynn worked full-time and went to school at night. Things were a little tight financially, but they weren't really struggling, if you know what I mean. Around the middle of year 19 of the marriage, Steve started acting like a certified idiot. A certified idiot believes he has a license to act a fool. He was not coming home during the week. It's one thing to stay out on the weekend, but only a fool stays out on a weeknight. He never had any money. How many times can you pocket, uh, you, your pocket be picked in one month? Even in LA! <gasps> 
Lynn couldn't figure out what the heck was going on. After a little wifey interrogation, she discovered that her best friend, her husband, had a problem with cocaine. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. He was spending all of his money on it and hanging out in the places in which he was. it was sold. Shortly after this startling revelation, Steve messed up so badly at work that he got fired. It was actually because of the drug situation. It was discovered that he had drugs on government property. Life can be hard, but God is always good because Steve had been on the job for so many years. They didn't exactly fire him. They invited him to resign with no marks on his record. Lynn asked very few questions, but Steve offered no explanations. After a little wifey insistence, Steve entered a drug treatment program and Lynn lived through that with him. Nine months after the 15-month treatment program, Steve still hadn't found a job. Lynn was doing everything in her power to hold the marriage and the household together. Now they were struggling. Friends were lending their money because Lynn was the kind of person you wanted to do everything in your power to support. Steve, on the other hand, was not coming home at night. You must know the rules if you want to play the game. You are the love you you are the love you seek. You are the championship you desire. You are your own completion, your own wholeness. Wholeness. I can't say that. Sorry, people. Wholeness. You are your best friend, your confidant. You are a poetress, Andre Lord wrote. The one that you are looking for, you are only one who can do what you are looking for. Somebody, someone else to do. So let me read that again. You are the only one who can do what you are looking for. Someone else to do. Oh, okay. When you go out into the world looking for love or work or melons, realize that you are bringing your goods to the table, your soul, your mind and your body. If you do not feel good about who you are and what you are, how can you expect your goods to be matched pound for pound, stitch for stitch? If you are on the love block without knowing the truth about you, you, my dear, are in a lot of trouble. Pack up your goods and go home. If you don't, what you are likely to find out there in the world is going to knock you for a loop. When you know a thing, you do it. You believe it. When you know a thing, you try to figure it out. Most of us are trying to figure out what to do to make our relationships better, to make them work because we have skipped over loving me into loving you. Self-love means taking the time to smile at, listen to and tenderly embrace yourself. Without time spent this way, the thing we search and hope for in relationships will continue to elude us. That experience, the total experience, acceptance, honest acknowledgement, trusting support and honouring of yourself is all the experience we need to make any relationship a good one. When we have this kind of self-love, we are more than willing to do the work, the, the sometimes nasty work required to establish, build and maintain a relationship without it. We are bound to get lost in the pile of mess. If you were looking for a new home, you would spend time identifying the, the specifics, the size of the kitchen, the number of bedrooms and bathrooms, and the specifics would be identified before you would want went into the marketplace. The same is true of the search for love. You must know what to look for before you start to look. Some of us rush into the market squeezing plums and buns, 
accepting what feels good, lo looks good, or smells good without really understanding what is good. What's good for you matches your specifics. What's good for you expands the greatest experience of yourself. What's good for your lifts, your what good for you lifts your awareness to a higher recognition of your all righteous rightness in life. What's good for you will ultimately prove to be good for those you have invited into your life. After several weeks of Steve's idiotic behaviour, Lynn decided it was time for a little wifey investigation. One night she followed Steve and found that their car parked on Beacon Street, a street full of apartment buildings. A few nights later, Lynn elicited the help of a friend who had a car. Just as she suspected, they found the car parked in front of a Beacon Street building at 2am. Every other night for the next two weeks, Lynn and her friend went would go car shopping on Beacon Street. Each night, the car was parked in front of a different building, which made it a bit difficult to determine exactly where Steve was going, but he was going straight to hell. If Lynn ever got her hands on him, since they had never seen him going into or coming out of any of one of the buildings, they had no idea to whose or what apartment Steve was visiting. Lynn told her friend that wifey patience is really out, her, that, her, that her wife, friend, listen to that again. Lynn told her friend that wifey patience is really outdone. In the meantime, Lynn never said a word to Steve. She didn't confront him or ask him any questions. Lynn was trying to maintain her dignity, which was being dragged up and down Beacon Street. While she was holding on to the best of her ability, Lynn's driver friend kept reminding her he snorted up his paychecks for the last two years and she continued, he's not working besides that, she pointed out. You're feeding him and while he's eating your food, he has nothing better to do than to get another woman. She wasn't finished yet. Get a grip, girl. If this is love, hate me, please. As she always did, Lynn listened intently before she gave her pat answer. No divorce. It's a sin. My children's loved their father. And I wouldn't do that to my children. He's my husband and we can work this out. In the meantime, Lynn kept praying at one point. She even considered going to a psychic reader to get some insight on the right address. Eventually, when the help of the, with the help of the friend, of course, Lynn went to Beacon Street at eight o'clock in the morning and she had figured out the pattern. He would leave home just before 5 p.m., before Lynn came home from work. He would stay out all night and be home by the time Lynn called the house at 9am. Wow, from her desk at work. That meant he must be leaving his Beacon Street hideaway at around 8.30 in the morning. It was the friend's idea that they hide in the bushes, it literally, and wait for him. The suspense, the drama. The cute little doggy they almost scared to death when he began to relieve himself on Lynn's leg. It was almost worth the day's pay it cost them both to pull it off. Bingo! At 8.20, Steve came out of the second building on the right side of the street, going into his family car and drove off. Now they knew the building. All they needed was an apartment number. Wow. Have your eyes checked regularly. What are you looking at? What are you looking for? What are you looking with? These three questions are essential to discovering true love. 
if you are nearsighted or farsighted or if you suffer from blurred vision you run the risk of missing love when it shows up if you don't know what to look for or where to look how will you recognize what you want when it shows up if you have an old picture that is cracked faded or rolled at the corners you may miss certain small details essential to the whole picture it is for that reason you must constantly check your vision version and projection of love if you cannot detect what is hurting you it may be that you have been trying to squeeze yourself into a situation in which you did not belong a situation that you have outgrown if you cannot see the source of your confusion it could be that you are looking at the wrong thing looking for the wrong thing or looking with the wrong intention in mind love never looks vengeful or violent it never looks to strike out or knock down Love is an expansive energy that leads to sharing, giving, building and healing. Love energizes and encourages you to do more, commit more loving acts, to be more, behave in a more loving way and to give more and more love to more people. Loving and being loved is a big responsibility. This means that you must look at yourself as well as those you love with an expansive view, knowing that nothing stays the same. Things will expand sometimes beyond our vision or reach. Loving and being loved also means that you must always look for the good. The good qualities, the good potential, the good that has been done with you and for you. It means you must look with merciful and forgiving eyes, trusting and truthful eyes, gentle and kind eyes that always see beyond the behaviour to the core, the essence, the soul. You may not always want to do this. There will be times when you do not know how to do it. The key is to always affirm that love is your guiding force. In this way, no matter what you do or how you do it, love will be present. Once you have accepted this degree of responsibility for yourself by forgiving yourself for what you have created, it will be easy to love those who played a role in your creation. With that done, you can move to the next step, receiving unconditional love from others. For many, it is much easier to give than receive. To receive means recognising that everything that comes to you is a reflection of what you deserve. Water rises to its own level and so does love. People will give you things, opportunities, resources, their time and energy in response to the amount of love you have for yourself and the amount of love you give others. This could mean receiving very challenging the, the, this can make receiving very challenging because you must believe that you deserve what you get. <clears throat> it is very difficult to receive when you are suspicious about the motives of others. It is for that reason you must learn to trust. Trust yourself and trust other people. Trust is the main ingredient of unconditional love. If you do not trust, you will be suspicious. You may suspect that you are indebted to people. Once you believe you are indebted to someone, it will be hard, if not impossible, to be honest with them. It's hard to tell the truth to someone you ever you are afraid of or dependent on. It may be difficult, if not impossible, to express what you feel, believing as you do that you owe them something for the love they have showered on you if and only if you remember once again that you are loved with these thoughts will these thoughts dissipate you will remember that you deserve love in any form it comes in 
In this state of mind, you can accept what is offered to you with an open heart and no feelings of of obligation. If someone tries to make you feel obligated, you can remind them and yourself that God uses people. God uses people to let you know where you are in love's house. It is not wise to deny God the privilege of showing you how much you are loved. If you find it difficult to receive, it could be that you have missed a few steps don't worry you will be provided with an opportunity to retrace your steps and clear up the stuff you have missed armed with the new little tidbit of information lynn kept praying she always went to a site she she also went to a psychic reading after her friend jumped ship the friend had had enough of the secret spy games it was wrecking havoc on her own relationship the psychic didn't tell lynn anything that she did not already know and she did not give her the apartment number it didn't matter because the friend came back this was a real friend who thought lynn was about to fall over the edge besides that real friends don't desert their friends without any advance warning the friend called one friday night to say she was on her way to pick lynn up they were going to church it was an old baptist church in the storefront on a corner the sermon was was about not letting lost people get you lost It was a bullseye hit with regard to what Lynn was going through. After the sermon, the friend took Lynn by the hand right up to the front of the church where all the church matrons were congregated. Approaching the biggest, most serious and most powerful looking matron in the group, the friend blurted out, my friend needs you to pray for her, please. Instantly, the seriousness was transformed to loving concern. The matron never responded, never asked questions. She took one one look at Lynn summoned the other matrons with a wave of the hand and they went to work the matrons surrounded Lynn with and began to pray actually they were moaning or singing or doing something neither Lynn nor the friend had ever heard before by the time they were done Lynn was on her knees crying in the middle of the circle the friend was plastered to the wall doing the same thing crying it was quite an experience lynn told her friend later on she also promised that the car shopping was over was over have courage under fire it was seen that with all you have been through lived through and grown through the job would be easier this is not the case in love's house the truth of the matter is few make it all the way to the top because the work gets progressively more difficult Those who are very good students, the best students, always get the hardest tests. You see, love is nothing to play around with. Thus far, this is what many of us have been doing. We have been playing with love and at at being lovable. There comes a time, however, when you have to put your money where your mouth is. You say you want to enjoy the benefits of total self-acceptance. You believe you want the blessings of a loving, committed relationship. You think you can live and exemplify the true meaning of unconditional love. Well, prove it. In order to get to the second floor in love's house, you must be willing to get to- give total unconditional love to everyone under all circumstances. That means being willing to be totally responsible for what you do and how you do it total absolute and complete responsibility for the expression of love under all circumstances is the only spiritual cleanser that can get this job done 
When you are willing to take responsibility, you can look at your life and learn to listen to your experiences. Your experiences will provide you with a workable formula that is applicable to any and every situation in which you need more information about yourself. When you invite experience to be your teacher, you are able to sit and reflect on all you have learned as well as what you have missed. This sitting is sometimes called meditation. The reflection is called willingness to grow. Used in combination, these two spiritual cleansing products, meditation and reflection, produce responsibility. When you are ready to take response, take total responsibility for bringing love into your life or back into your relationship, your work on the first floor is just about complete. Second days, Several days later, Lynn was going through some mail and old papers on the dresser when she discovered an envelope with the Beacon Street name, address and apartment number. It had probably been in the junk on the drawer all along. The telephone hadn't hit the cradle before the friend was blowing the horn. She had come to accompany Lynn on what promised to be their last Beacon shop, Street shopping trip. Lynn just wasn't herself. She was mysteriously quiet, almost serene. Her eyes were fixed and she never said a single word before the car was shifted into park. Lynn was headed towards the building. Where the heck are you going? Her glazed eyes had the friend very concerned. What are you going to do? What are you going to say to him? Lynn never looked back, never said a word. It was as if she had a, had radar. She zeroed in on the appropriate belt and pushed it several times times the friend kept asking the same dumb question lynn kept ringing the bell who is it oh my god it's steve he answered the doorbell what a flaming idiot thought the friend it's lynn she replied as calm as she was going door to door selling mary Kay. to the total astonishment of her friend the door buzzed and lynn went into the building of course the friend's mouth had fallen to the floor by now. It was as if she was cemented to the very place she was standing. Lynn was out of sight in the freaking apartment. It was the first floor apartment, not more than 10 yards from the front door. 45 seconds later, I swear, 45 seconds, Lynn reappeared with Steve walking right beside her. He had a white shirt slung across his left shoulder. Isn't it amazing the details that catch your eye even when you're in shock? He followed Lynn right out of the building. On their way out, Lynn reached over and grabbed the friend, who was still standing right there where Lynn had left her and whose mouth was still hanging open. For the first time throughout the entire ordeal of the day, Lynn spoke to her friend, I'm going home to take care of some laundry. People, I know it's getting excited, but I'm going to leave it there because this chapter is really long. So look forward to part two tomorrow. <laughs>